Are we ready to talk about the elephant in the room? The thing that nobody wants to talk about, much less face up to or confront, much less befriend or make it an ally. Oh, what am I talking about, you ask? I'm talking about fear. Are we ready to take it on? I don't mean the kind of rational fear that was programmed into our DNA oh millions of years ago so we could avoid being eaten by saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths. I don't know, did woolly mammoths eat people? But as humans, we're born with a fear program already baked into our DNA. Babies have a startled response. Animals will run away to avoid danger. So rational fear, it's not a bad thing. It's what helps keep us alive. Now, what I want to talk about is irrational fear, the kind of fear we experience as real when we even think about it, when it's just a thought in our head. It it can trigger uh, an emotional chemical response in the body. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of The New Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Judith Rich. I'm excited to be back with you and looking forward to sharing a whole new season of interesting guests with topics that will inspire and provoke you to see the world, yourself, and your life with new eyes. And guess what? I've even cooked up a surprise for you. As part of my 80th birthday legacy project, I'm offering listeners a free gift from my new Musings and Meditations audio series. Just go to my website, judithrich.com, and claim your free gift. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Also available for purchase is the entire series, Musings and Meditations. These are original pieces of my writing set to music that integrate the wisdom and experience gained from nearly 50 years as a leader in the field of consciousness and transformation. Look for a link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. Welcome back. Well, I'm just going to dive right in here. Are we ready to talk about the elephant in the room? The thing that nobody wants to talk about, much less face up to or confront much less befriend or make it an ally. Oh, what am I talking about, you ask? I'm talking about fear. Are we ready to take it on? I don't mean the kind of rational fear that was programmed into our DNA, oh, millions of years ago, so we could avoid being eaten by saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths. I don't know, did woolly mammoths eat people? But as humans, we're born with a fear program already baked into our DNA. Babies have a startled response. Animals will run away to avoid danger. So rational fear, it's not a bad thing. It's what helps keep us alive. Now, what I want to talk about is irrational fear, the kind of fear we experience as real when we even think about it, when it's just a thought in our head, it 
it can trigger uh, an emotional chemical response in the body. So let's talk about fear, not from the standpoint of how to get rid of it or conquer it, because that's not going to happen. We're always going to encounter fear in some shape or form right up till the day we die. But it's our relationship with fear that we have a shot at managing. And I emphasize the words have a shot because even at that, we're not always going to be successful. There are going to be plenty of times when fear comes in like a wrecking ball, burns down the house, and you're left standing in the rubble. So knowing that we are imperfect in our humanness, let's dive in. To begin, I'm sure you've heard this saying about fear that the letters F-E-A-R stand for false evidence appearing real or forget everything and run. Or it could also mean face everything and rise. Whichever of these interpretations you adopt is going to determine your experience of life, your results, and your mental and physical well-being. In the forget everything and run scenario, fear is looked at as something real, something to be avoided at all costs, something that causes us to us to shrivel and shrink, something that causes us to even be in denial that this thing is happening. The thing about fear is that we're always going to have moments when fear comes up and we might revert to our automatic fight, flight, or freeze response. You've all heard this, I know. Automatic is the operative word here, as when we're in the grip of a fear reaction, we're not able to access conscious choice. We're at the effect of a physiological response triggered by the brain that sends chemicals to the body, and we are rendered incapable of exercising reason or logic in the moment. So what's important to know about fear is that it isn't a thing, but it's an energetic response to something, something that triggers or activates either the mind or the body. So for the purposes of this discussion, let's set aside the kind of fear we experience when there is physical danger involved. For this is a healthy kind of fear. It's the impulse to survive, and it's the reason why humans are still here on the planet. So we're not talking about being confronted by a grizzly bear on a hike through the woods or stepping off the curb in front of a semi-truck going 50 miles an hour. Let's consider the kind of fear that disables us from taking action because we're engaged in a different kind of survival story. What I'm talking about is the ego's survival. So what is the ego's agenda? Well, primarily, 
It's to protect that which it thinks it is. And that which it thinks it is, is you, me, us. So again, anything the ego perceives as a threat to its agenda, it's going to react with fight, flight, or freeze. Now, remember the ego's agenda, again, is survival. And more specifically, if we kind of went down a layer, primarily it's to look good, to be right, to be in control, to avoid pain, and to stay safe. Those are the five primary commitments of the ego and its agenda for this human system that it thinks it is. All of this renders us incapable of exercising conscious choice and we end up becoming stuck, i.e. fight, flight, or freeze. But I want to share with you another option. In her 1992 best-selling book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, y'all remember that one? Union analyst Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes introduced a phenomenon she called conscious forgetting. Well, these are two interesting words, aren't they? Because we wouldn't normally think of those words together. We think that forgetting is something that we do unconsciously. So what is it when we bring consciousness to it? Here's what she says about it. Conscious forgetting does not mean to make yourself brain dead. It means letting go of the event, not to insist it stay in the foreground, but rather allow it to be relegated to the background or move off stage. She says, we practice conscious forgetting by refusing to summon up the fiery emotional material. So let's just pause here for a moment. Recall that when we have the experience of being triggered, when we are in a reactive state, there is emotional material that has been activated and it's usually of an intense nature. Hence, she calls it fiery emotional material. She says, in conscious forgetting, we refuse to recollect. To consciously forget is an active, not a passive endeavor. I'm quoting here here now. It means to not haul up certain materials, to turn them over and over, to not work oneself up by repetitive thought, picture, or emotion. Conscious forgetting means willfully dropping the practice of obsessing. Hmm. Can y'all relate? Not looking back thereby living in a new landscape, creating a new life and new experiences to think about instead of the old ones. This kind of forgetting does not erase memory, but it lays the emotion surrounding the memory to rest. 
So again, to unpack it just a little bit, we're actually separating the emotion out from the memory of the event itself. We're not denying or forgetting the memory, but we're refusing to engage with the emotion. We're lying that emotion to rest. It suggests that we not repress painful memories, but we allow the emotion surrounding them to dissipate by refusing to engage, by not engaging with the emotional impact of the memory, which is self-inflected and it's divorced from the painful event itself. Remember, the event does not cause the emotion. We are the ones who bring the emotional response to the event. Yes, this is an important distinction to remember, but it's a difficult one to access in the heat of the experience, isn't it? I think we all probably know this at some level intellectually. And the question is, how do we apply it? How do we engage it? By our nature as humans, it's we're wired to give meaning to what happens in our lives. When we recall an event, we don't just recall the bare facts about it. We also bring up the raw emotional impact that occurred for us at the time. I mean, I can recall stories about events that happened a long time ago in my life. And as I recall those events, the emotions are right there. I mean, they come rushing to the forefront. We might not even remember the factual nature of what happened, who did what to whom, when, where, what time of day or night, but we remember how we felt and what we made of it. Our memories coalesce around the conclusions we make and the resulting decisions we forge out of what happens. In other words, we live not out of what happens in our lives, not the facts, but out of the stories or the interpretations we tell ourselves about the facts. And there's an enormous difference between the two. And it's really important to be able to distinguish one from the other. Conscious forgetting is a way to reframe your experience that neutralizes the emotional impact of it. It's not to deny or repress the reality that certain impacts exist, but rather it's the ability to walk the razor's edge of mental discipline, knowing that on either side of the edge are potential outcomes that may be daunting, yet we consciously choose not to engage them. So just picture this, walking the razor's edge of mental discipline knowing that on either side of that edge are potential outcomes that may be daunting. And so 
we practice staying on the edge, choosing with full powers of consciousness to stay above the, the fray of the emotional content. We choose not to empower the emotions and we shift the emphasis from the emotional impact of the memories that closed possibilities in the past to recalling what happened minus the heat of your interpretation and choosing to empower yourself in the present. Or what the spiritual guru Gangaji advises. Don't express it and don't repress it. That's the edge. Don't express it and don't repress it. Can you feel that edge? It's a very thin edge of awareness and it requires your full presence to navigate that edge without falling off. Let me share with you a personal story, how this became a very important practice in my life. A few years ago, I found myself in a situation where I was in total fear mentally, and I went into flight and freeze mode. What started out looking like a routine event turned into the roller coaster ride from hell. And coming into a conscious relationship with fear became my only ally, my way of navigating through. So a little backstory to this story. In March of 2009, I was diagnosed with DCIS a form of breast cancer. Mine was stage zero. So it was non-invasive. And in March of 2020, which was a whole year later, I went in for my first mammogram after undergoing lumpectomy surgery for that breast cancer the previous July. I went to that mammogram, expecting everything to go smoothly, just a kind of easy zip in, zip out kind of procedure. That is not what happened. Now, female readers know that mammograms can be painful at worst, uncomfortable at best. Just as a little comparison, men, imagine having your testicles smashed and spread out between two glass plates, then stand there holding your breath during a series of x-rays, and you might start to get the picture. So I went in, had the mammogram. After the mammogram, I was asked to wait for a few minutes, which is very routine, while they look at the image to make sure they got it right. 15 minutes later, the technician called me back and announced that I would need to have a magnification mammogram on the right breast. Well, okay, I thought, no big deal. They want to have a closer look. It's fine with me. I saw no red flags waving. I heard no alarm bells ringing. Second mammogram in 20 minutes. I'm back into the waiting room where 
True to the nature of its name, I waited a while longer. And another 15 minutes later, I'm called back in for a third mammogram, this time with an ultrasound. Now, looking back at that point, when I might have been alarmed, I still didn't get alarmed. I was in the moment free of thoughts, putting one foot in front of the other into the ultrasound room I went. A new technician came in, went about her job, put on the warming gel, moving the ultrasound wand over my breast. Then she showed me something on the screen and said, I'm going to go get the radiologist who will come in and tell you what's going on. And then she left the room. So that's what happened. Those are the facts. Now, here's what my mind did with what happened. <laughs> As the door closed behind the ultrasound technician, the first alarm bell sounded. Is something going on? My mind asked. Holy shit, something is going on. What is going on? And then for the next few seconds before the radiologist came in, my mind went into overdrive. It went something like this. Oh, no, not again. This can't be happening. Remember, I just had breast surgery the year before. Lumpectomy, breast reduction, a year of healing, and now this? Oh, no, this can't be happening. Denial was having its way with me. My mind was racing towards the edge of the cliff, about to plunge over the cliff, when a more sane voice inside me popped up. And here's what it said. It said, now just wait a minute. Calm down. You can deal with this. So I took a deep breath, and I was trying to pull myself together when the radiologist entered the room. She picked up the ultrasound wand and found what she called the area of concern, which she pointed out to me on the screen. Oh my God, it was huge. To me, in that state, it looked like the size of Texas. And then she said, uh, we'll just need to biopsy this to know for sure what it is. She kept on talking. I could see her lips moving, but my mind was busy doing reruns of the past year. Surgery, drainage tubes, hospital, nurses, recovery. <laughs> it was not a picture I wanted to see. Not then when I was barely through the healing process from less than a year before. And you know what happened? I started to lose it right there on the table with the radiologist hovering over me. No longer able to hold back my emotions, I burst into tears. The poor, the poor radiologist was quite taken aback, I'm sure. I'm sure she didn't expect this outburst from her simple announcement that a biopsy was in order. She probably thought, well, what's the big deal? It's a biopsy. She probably prescribed them every day. Except what did my mind do? It sailed off both into the past and into the future. And it turned into the worst possible outcomes. Mastectomy, followed by chemotherapy, followed by loss of hair, radiation, a long recovery, maybe even worse. This is what my mind was doing. 
while the radiologist was saying, um, well, uh, we don't have to schedule it today. You, uh, you could talk to your doctor first and decide what you want to do. We could do an MRI, but I won't feel comfortable unless we do a biopsy. Well, due to my travel schedule, I waited five weeks to have the biopsy. And during those five weeks, I had an opportunity to practice conscious forgetting. Five weeks later, had the biopsy, the outcome benign. Yay, the dense fibrocystic breast tissue that I've had all my life was the culprit. And even though it's shown up on my mammogram for decades, my mammograms for decades, and it never been a cause for concern, it raised concern this time around because it looked, quote, different, unquote. No doubt due to the previous surgeries that kind of moved all the tissue around and that changed the look of everything. So yes, of course, I was grateful to be on the other side of a clean biopsy. And I, I'll add that I've been grateful to be on the other side of clear mammograms every year since then. And that's since 2010. I am extremely grateful that I didn't have to face all the scenarios my mind conjured up. I felt relieved and liberated from the mental holding pattern I had been in for those six weeks in between the request for the biopsy and the actual results. But what matters as much as the outcome is what I learned in the process. For I got to practice being with my mind and emotions in a way that not only served me to get through a period of uncertainty, it actually made me stronger. I can't say for sure how I would have responded to a different outcome. I can only imagine that after the initial shock wore off, you know, I likely would have marshaled my inner resources to go through the experience. And I likely would have come out the other side with different lessons than the one I learned. In the end, it's all about using whatever life serves up for, as part of the curriculum for learning. So conscious forgetting was anything but being in denial of what was going on, the facts. For upon awakening each morning during those five weeks, my first thought went to the uncertain future. And then I got to choose not to engage with the sea of emotions accompanying this thought. I was not in denial that these emotions existed. They were there. And I could have allowed myself to be engulfed in them in a heartbeat. But the best way I can describe the experience is like being in a constant state of meditation in which there I am sitting calmly at the center, watching and allowing the movement of emotions or reactions to take place without engaging them. Staying instead in a kind of gentle, vigilant state 
the key is having the ability to be at choice about it. The conscious part of conscious forgetting is where the work lies. It requires that you expand your capacity to hold an experience without becoming it. That is a piece of work. And in this, there is my friends, great freedom. In the end, it always comes down to having the ability to consciously choose how we experience our lives. Life happens and we choose. How we choose and what we choose determines what we experience. We can become unconscious, navigate on automatic pilot, and be a passenger in our own lives. We can hope for the best. We can hope that life is kind and that we manage to make it through relatively unscathed. Now, if we choose that scenario, hoping for the best, hoping we can get through unscathed, that scenario will require you to live carefully and cautiously sticking close to the shore, never venturing to go far beyond safe moorings, lest you get caught in a sudden storm. But that is not what we were built for. Or as Dr. Estes reminds us, we can choose to know that we are mighty ships built for these times. We can hoist our sails and venture out to sea. In the language, this is Estes I'm quoting now, in the language of aviators and sailors, ours, our job is to sail forward now. To calm the storm means to quiet the outer layer, to cause it by whatever countervailing means to swirl much less, to move more evenly towards the center which is a less volatile core. So to move consciously towards your own center when you're in a storm. So when you are confronted by the outer, outer vortex of swirling emotions, when you're activated, when you're triggered, when you're in reactivity and your emotions are swirling, conscious forgetting is the practice of moving from those outward swirling emotions into the calm inner center, like being in a vortex, like being in the eye of a storm or the eye of a hurricane. There you can restore balance and sanity. And so think about experiences in your own life when fear or worry has hijacked your mind. Going forward, when you encounter that, consider this a chance to practice conscious forgetting, to take it on like a meditation 
It's a way of taking care of yourself. It's a kind of self-care. Conscious forgetting is a kind of self-care in which you can tell yourself nothing to do, nothing to undo. Don't express it and don't repress it. So just a little practice for you, for you to engage in as often as you need. It is a way to connect and be with, take care of yourself in those moments when your mind or body has been hijacked out of the fire, uh, fiery emotional material that accompanies triggering events. So I just leave you with that little reminder. Don't express it and don't repress it. This is how we deal with fear. Meditate on that till we meet next time. Thanks for being here with me in the new beyond. God bless. Let me take a moment to thank my producer, Justina Nielsen, and all of you, dear listeners, for being here. Now that we're in season two, we're no longer an infant podcast. We're now a toddler. And you know how toddlers are. Their legs are still building muscles so they can stand strong and begin to take off. Well, so are we. This toddler podcast is ready to grow and we need your support. If you're someone who likes to read reviews, like me, before you invest your time or money in something, but you haven't yet written one yourself, here's your chance to make a difference. Please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple, or if you listen on Spotify or other podcast providers, please give us five stars. I so deeply appreciate your support in helping this toddler learn to walk, run, and yes, even eventually fly. So thanks for being with us on this journey to the new beyond. Until next time, many blessings. <laughs>